good. So as most of you will know, we've been in a series called The Good Work and we've reached the, the final, fourth and final part of the message. Um, so hopefully you've been encouraged so far over the past three weeks uh, of what we've been sharing and I hope that this morning will be uh, equally encouraging and empowering and, and inspiring. Are you ready this morning? You ready to hear from God? Remember, we get to be here. We don't have to be here. It's a privilege. He's going to speak to us this morning. Let's be expectant that God's got something to say specifically to you this morning. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that you're here, that you're with us, that you've got something to speak to us. And I thank you that you're already speaking to us this morning. And we just pray that, um, that your word will, will go out and change us this morning, that we will leave these doors a little bit more like you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we're looking at the incredible story of an ordinary guy from the Old Testament, Nehemiah. He was, a, he was kind of called by God to do a very, very good work. And I've said kind of throughout this series, and I believe it with all my heart, that each and every one of us here this morning was not created. We were not created by accident. You're not here by accident. You're not here this morning by accident. I believe that God has a purpose for, for everything that he does. And I believe that, that by the providence and the, and the goodness of God, that he knew exactly what he was doing when he made you. He knew exactly what he was doing. And, and I know that some of us, we can kind of self-evaluate, can't we? And we can kind of go, oh, well, I'm not very good at this, or I'm, I'm too short, or I'm too old, or I'm too this and too that. And whatever it is that, that we kind of critique ourselves about, well, God knew what he was doing when he made you, and he made you how he made you for a purpose and a reason. So be encouraged by that this morning. God has a purpose for you and a purpose for your life. And, and I believe that as he formed us, as he made us, that he put within us something of himself, that he imparted within us his DNA so that we are like him. We were created in his image so that we can go out and do the work that he equips us for. And within that, he gives us gifts and he gives us talents and he gives us passion and abilities for the things that can, we can do to make a difference in this world. And the thing that we've been talking about throughout this series is that God's given each and every one of us something specific to do. We've been referring to it as a, a divine burden. And even just last week, someone came up to me after the service and said, you know, John, this series has been great, but I don't know what I'm here for. I don't know what I'm here for. And, and as soon as they said that, I was like, well, I know exactly what you're here for. But I didn't need to say it because then they said to me, oh, well, actually, and, and as you were speaking, God revealed to me that it's this. And I was like, well, of course it's that. How did you not see that already? Because often people can see in you the gifts and abilities that God's put in you when you yourself are oblivious. And God, God blesses you with abilities. And so if you're sitting here this morning or even throughout the past few weeks as we've been talking, then you've been thinking to yourself, well, I don't know what I'm here for. I don't know what, what God's calling me to do. What is this divine burden that God's supposed to got, have for me? Well, he's got something. And if you don't know what it is, go and speak to someone who's close to you. Because I bet for sure that they can see something on your life that you can't. And if that doesn't work, well, then just think about what you're good at and what you like to do, because often God gives us passions about the things that he's calling us to do. So I encourage you, if you're in that place this morning and you don't know what it is that God's calling you to do, speak to someone. Don't just sit alone and pray about it. God can reveal it to you. Yes, of course. But speak to other people because they can point it out. It's this. This is what you're supposed to be doing. 
all right, yeah, of course it is. I love doing that. That's great. So I believe that God has got a good work for every single one of us to do, and it's something that will make an eternal difference, something that will outlast us so we can live our lives, but the thing that God's calling us to do, it will go way beyond us. So we're looking at this story of Nehemiah. He's a a servant from the Old Testament. His title was a a cupbearer to the king of Persia. And as we picked up the story, he received some news. He received some news that his his hometown, his people, um, you know, his community were, were in a difficult place because the Babylonians had come in and they'd They'd completely destroyed Judah. They'd crushed Solomon's temple. They'd burned down the gates. They'd brought ruin on this city and they'd taken the Jews into captivity. And then decades later, some of those Jews were were released out of captivity and they went back to, to their hometown to try and rebuild. They had a passion and an enthusiasm that they were going to get back there and they were going to rebuild the temple and they were going to bring things back to the way things were and everything was going to be all good again but they got back there and and it didn't quite go as planned and they found themselves in this rut almost where they they couldn't make any progress and and this news got back to to Nehemiah and and when he heard this news it broke his heart you know God breaks our heart for for things that break his heart and when your heart breaks for something that could be a clue to the calling that God's put on your life Because when your heart breaks for something, God's prompting you. He's nudging you. He's saying to you, this is important for you. So Nehemiah got this news and it crushed him. It it destroyed him. And he then went on to spend four months in prayer. He spent four whole months seeking God and, and, and diligently just praying out to God about this situation. And then after those four months, he, he gets up and he goes and asks the king for permission to leave the palace. He asks for a sabbatical almost to, to go away and to do this work. And he explains that the situation that, that his people are in and, and the king grants him permission to leave his job for a period of time to do this good work that God had called him to do. And not only did he give him permission to leave, he also gave him the protection that he would need and the provision that he would need as well to get the job done. So he arrives on the scene. I'm just recapping here, so I'll churn through it. He arrives on the scene and he rallies the troops. And as we saw in, in week two, he begins to get stuck in to work. He rallies the troops and he gets stuck into work. And they begin to make some progress. And what did we say last week? As the work goes down opposition shows up. As the work goes down, opposition shows up. So last week we talked about being prepared for that and being expectant that actually as you step out in faith and as you begin to do the thing that God's calling you to do, opposition will show up and and enemies will rear their ugly heads and try to stop you from doing the thing that God has called you to do. You see, if the enemy can't destroy you, then he'll try to distract you. If the enemy can't destroy you, he'll try to distract you. And he'll do whatever he can to take, his, to, to take your eyes off God. Because as we've seen throughout this story, and we'll continue to see this morning, that Nehemiah was a man who kept his eyes fixed on God. He knew his calling because he'd spent these four months of, of prayer and seeking his, his heavenly father. He was sure that this was what he was supposed to be doing 
So when the enemies came and an opposition came, he wasn't distracted. But we can so easily be distracted. And so the walls started to go up and then the enemies showed up on the scene, didn't they? Sambalat, Tobiah, and a guy named Geshem, as we'll look at this morning, showed up to try to distract Nehemiah from the job that God had called him to do. So this fourth and final part of this series, I've entitled, Shut the Door on Distractions. Shut the Door on Distractions. So let's read from Nehemiah chapter 6. We'll start at verse 1. Now when Sambalat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab And the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, although up to that time I'd not set the doors in the gates. Sambalat and Geshem sent to me, saying, Come and let us meet together at Hekephrim in the plain of Ono. But they intended to do me harm. Well, let me give you tip number one this morning. If your enemies invite you to a meeting at a place called Ono, don't go. (laughs) Don't go. You know, often we know who our enemies are, don't we? You know, sometimes we can be going through stuff and we can be stepping out in faith and and being bold in what God's called us to do and enemies show up and, and oftentimes it's not surprising what they look like. We might not know them in person, but we might know what they look like because we can expect that as we begin to walk in in God's favor, their enemies will show up. And if we were to receive an invite to meet them, we might think to ourselves, oh great, this is an opportunity to share vision. This is an opportunity for us to share our heart and to almost try and persuade them that that what we're doing is what we're supposed to be doing. I don't know about you, but that's something that I find in my life that, you know, as I'm walking on a certain path and, and someone or something rears its ugly head and I have an opportunity to sit down with them. Well, I'll take it because I want to try and persuade them of my vision. I want to try and persuade them of my calling and say, look, these are the reasons why I'm doing this. Don't you agree? Because I think as humans, we want people to agree, don't we, with the things that that we're doing. We want people to be on our side. We want people to be with us and not against us. But oftentimes our enemies are so dug into their way of life. They're, they're dug into their, their negative thinking that there's absolutely no persuading them. There's no persuading them otherwise. And we talked about that last week, didn't we? That actually you can, you can call them around you and you can try to persuade them of, of your way of thinking. But actually you're not going to convert your critics You're only going to validate them and spur them on even more. It's just not worth getting into that conversation. It's not worth trying to persuade them. It's not worth pouring your energy into trying to convert someone that's that's never going to convert themselves to your way of thinking. So we're going to look this morning at what Nehemiah did and his example when the enemies tried to distract him from the work that God had called him to. We're going to look at that this morning, and I think that's going to be encouraging to some people this morning. But, you know, sometimes we may see this chance to to meet with people or to try to persuade people as an opportunity, but sometimes what we call an opportunity, God calls a distraction. And I think we live in an era that it's easier than ever to get distracted, isn't it? 
It's easier than ever to get pulled left, right, and center onto anything but the job that we're supposed to be doing. And, and I don't know about you, but I am an expert procrastinator. I am an expert. If you need lessons, you come and speak to me. You know, I can find 101 things to do that are not the things that I'm supposed to be doing. You know, I write myself lists of jobs that I know I need to do, and I am full, fully aware of the priority of these things, but I always go to the easiest one first. If that, I'll find myself, I don't know, this device that we carry in our pockets, most of us, is such a distraction. And sometimes I just want to throw it away because I'm aware of what it's doing to my life and my relationships, but then I get anxiety about how I'm going to live without it. And that's a, that's a problem. Please pray for me. I'm just being honest this morning. But procrastination creeps up on you, doesn't it? You just kind of find, oh, you, you know, you find yourself, I don't know, like it, Ruth and I can be in a conversation about what the week ahead's going to look like and we're making plans and making sure that our diaries are in line and then I, I'll need to just nip onto my phone to, to check a date or just to make a note of something. My memory's dreadful, so I make a lot of notes on my phone, so I just, I'll just get it out mid-conversation and start to make a note and then, and then I'm on Instagram just to check something and, and I'm scrolling through that and then I've nicked onto YouTube and then I found myself an hour later watching videos of cats being scared by cucumbers. I, it just happens, doesn't it? It just happens. If I'm honest, I was writing this message, and this is page two of ten pages of notes, and I got to writing this point around procrastination. I spent 14 minutes watching a video on procrastination. I watched a TED talk about a guy about the art of procrastination. I mean, I was midway, th I'd barely even started my message, and I'm watching a video. <laughs> God's speaking to me. Don't get distracted. That's what God's saying. Don't get distracted. So in this story of Nehemiah, his critics, in an attempt to distract him from the good work that God's called him to do, they invite him for a meeting. They say, let's get together. Let's talk, talk through some stuff. Now, I love a meeting. I love a meeting. I love to get together with people and hear their hearts and share my heart. And, and I love to talk strategy and I love to sit down in those, those opportunities to, to do that kind of stuff. But I hate meetings about meetings. And when you're in business, then that can happen a lot. We'll have a meeting to plan what's going to happen at the next meeting. And, and I, oh, why have we done this? Or you can spend an hour in a meeting and you like get to the end of it and you go, that could have been a two-line email. Why have we spent an hour in conversation about nothing? I've got stuff to do. But we get distracted so easily. But by the grace of, uh, grace of God, Nehemiah clocks what's going on when he receives this invite from his enemies. He recognizes that their intentions are far from positive and he politely declines. He politely declines. In fact, they send this offer of a meeting four times and four times he says to them, no thanks. He says no. Who knows one of the most important words in the English language is no. I think it's something that we need to learn. We need, I've been learning it myself. In fact, I've, I've come across a technique and a strategy of how to do this. Do you want me to show you? Shall I teach you? You do this. No. <laughs> Shall we all try together? One, two, three. No. It's quite easy, isn't it? And yet, for some reason, we find it really tricky. And you know, Maybe you want to add a bit of authority into it, so you do a bit of a, a shake of the head. No. No. It's a full sentence. 
It doesn't need to be followed by a reason or an excuse. No is a complete sentence, and it's something that I think we all need to get better at doing. You know, no is an okay thing to say. We can say no. Don't say yes when you mean no. Don't say yes when you mean no, and definitely don't say maybe when you mean no. I think as parents, I know I'm guilty of that. Caleb will say to me, oh, can we play some Lego when we get home? Can we do this? Can we do... Yeah, maybe, maybe. No. I've got to make tea. I've got to do this. I've got to do... I mean, don't get me wrong. I love to play with Lego. (laughs) Sometimes I'm guilty of saying maybe when actually I mean no. And no is okay to say. Even Jesus said no sometimes. Even Jesus will have said no sometimes. You see... You know, wherever he went, flocks of people gathered around him, didn't they? They wanted to, to hear what he was saying. They wanted to see what he was doing. Maybe they had needs and they wanted to, healing or they wanted some kind of restoration from him. So flocks would gather around him. But at some point, he would have to leave that group of people. And I, I don't think it specifically says this uh, often in the Bible. But, but I can imagine that he never left a place without someone still wanting something from him because he was a wanted guy he was a desired guy people had needs that they wanted him to meet and there were so many of them that it was overwhelming I mean sometimes he got into a boat just to escape the crowds because he was overwhelmed by what it is that that they were asking for and because he he was saying no to them because he had more important things to do it wasn't no I I don't care about you it wasn't no I'm not interested in your needs it was I care about you, but also I care about my disciples. And and this time is precious to me because I need to leave this crowd and go and spend some quality time with them and share my heart about what just happened because he was teaching them. Or sometimes he he would leave the crowds and he would go and spend time with his father. So saying no to the crowds was saying yes to spending quality time with his father. You see, if you go to see a band in concert, they can be on, on stage and they can play an incredible gig. And then when the, the, the gig comes to an end, they'll leave the stage and they'll go backstage and there's barriers and bodyguards and security that stop you getting there. But Jesus didn't have that, did he? Jesus didn't have that. And, and when you're at that concert, you know, you might hear the cry of the crowd, encore or we want more or another song or whatever it is that they're, they're crying out for. And I can imagine that wherever Jesus went, wherever he went to a place and he was doing his incredible work, that as he was leaving, people were crying out for more. Who wouldn't want more of Jesus? But by saying no to the crowds, he wasn't saying, you're not important. He was saying, there's other things for me to do. You might feel that saying no is mean, but sometimes no isn't mean. Sometimes no is, is just wise. Sometimes no is just wise. If you're always available to everyone, eventually you'll have nothing left to give. If we just keep saying yes to to everyone, eventually we'll have nothing left to to give. So it's an important thing for, for us to learn. So four times Nehemiah says no to his enemies as they're inviting him for this meeting. He says thanks, but but no thanks. And then they come at him for a a fifth time. And we'll pick this up in verse 5. In the same way, Sambalat for the fifth time sent his servant to me with an open letter in his hand. In it was written, it's reported among the nations 
And Geshem also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. And that is why you're building a wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. And you have also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem, there is a king in Judah. And now the king will hear of these reports. So now come and let us take counsel together. For a fifth time, they're inviting him for a meeting, but they're not just inviting, to him, inviting him to a meeting this time. What is it that we're seeing? We're seeing gossip and rumors. We're seeing gossip and rumors. The message, messenger comes with a letter that says, it's reported this, this, and this. It's reported this, this, and this. Oof. And then they, then they follow that with, not only is it reported that this is what you're going to do, this is the rumor that's going around, this is the, the gossip that's being spread about your intentions, but also Geshem said it too. He said it, so it must be true. Anyone ever been called to something like that? Let's have a conversation because I've heard that this is going on. I've heard that you're up to this. You see, the messenger brings this, this letter and it's just filled with gossip and rumors. You know, don't spread rumors. It's quite a simple lesson for us to learn, isn't it? And yet, for some people, it's, it's a difficult thing to learn because we hear a piece of news and and it, and it hurts us or it upsets us and we, we take it as fact. So we, we then start to tell someone else over coffee. But just think about stuff before you share it. It's quite a simple lesson to learn, isn't it? But I think it's something that we all need to take on board. If you hear something and you think it's fact, maybe just check it before you, before you share it. I don't know, there seems to be this, this prevalence of Facebook things sharing on Facebook. It really winds me up. People sharing this, this news about, I don't know, even about Facebook's privacy settings and copy-paste this lengthy message. And if you don't copy and paste this thing as your post, you're going to be hacked. Let me tell you, if you're not savvy in that kind of stuff, copying and pasting a post on Facebook will not save you from anything. Just don't do it. It's nonsense. It's just, it's just gossip and rumors that people are doing to, I don't even know why, just to try and spread something. Don't do it. So uh, Nehemiah hears that there's a rumor going round. He gets word, Nehemiah, there's a rumor that you're going to rebel. Don't let rumors distract you. Nehemiah, there's a, a rumor going round that you're going to appoint yourself king. Never let someone else's opinion of you disrupt God's calling of you. Because people can say what they like about you and about your character, but you and God know what's true. It doesn't matter what other people say about you. It doesn't matter. Does it hurt when people talk trash about you? Absolutely. But does it matter? No. Because God knows the truth. You know the truth. Don't let rumors distract you. You know, you'll never do big things if you're distracted by small-minded people. You'll never do big things if you're distracted by small-minded people. You see, they can say what they want to say, but that doesn't change the truth. They can say what they want to say, but it doesn't change the truth. So we need to not worry about what people say about us. We need to only worry about what's true about us. About what's true about us. How are you living? 
How is your walk with God? How is your life? Not one of us is perfect, but we know within ourselves where we're at on that journey. So don't be distracted by what other people are saying about you. You know, if you're living according to his will and his purpose, it doesn't matter what rumors go around. As much as it hurts, it doesn't matter what goes around because you know the truth and so does God. So Nehemiah gets word, there's a rumor. So they come out with them with this rumor. And then at the very end of it, in verse 7, they throw in this sting in the tail. So not only is there a rumor going round, and it's apparently been supported by the fact that this guy Geshem has also uh, said that it's true, but then they throw this, this comment in at the end, you can be sure that the king will hear these reports. There's this rumor going round about you, Nehemiah, and we're going to tell your boss. It's like playground tactics, this, isn't it? Playground tactics. But thankfully, Nehemiah has the strength of character, and he has the, sh- the assurance of his calling not to be distracted. And so he responds to them like this in verse 8. Then I sent to them saying, no such things as you say have been done, for you are inventing them out of your own mind. It's just not true. Let me put you straight, because I know what's true, and this is nonsense. He didn't let their words discourage him. Instead, look what he does. So then I sent him saying, no such things as you say have been done, for you're inventing them out of your own mind. And verse 9, for, all they wanted to, for, the, for they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work and it won't be done. But now, O oh God, strengthen my hands. So the rumors were coming round and they were coming round in the hopes that it would distract them from their work, that their hands would drop from their work but now oh god strengthen my hands in the new living translation that that translates over to so i continued the work with even greater determination it's such a such an encouragement so he's having these words of, of just falsity thrown at him and instead of being distracted by it instead of coming down from his work and and getting engaging with him in conversations about he said she said or these are the truth and and that's all lies he just carries on with his work with even more determination what an encouragement to us we should remember that when we're facing opposition that instead of letting it distract us we can let it drive us on with even more determination and not only that remember how they worked and I love this picture back in in chapter 4 verse 17 that they worked with one hand on their tools and the other hand on a weapon you see they were prepared for the enemy's attack they knew that as they were trying to do this work that God had called them and equipped them to do that the enemy enemies were going to come and try to distract them and so they worked with their tools in one hand and a weapon in the other ready to protect themselves ready for the enemy to rear its head and try to distract them and stop them from the work that God had called them to do. They were ready to fight, but they were working with all their might. Whatever comes at you, you know, whatever comes to try and discourage you, whatever comes to try and distract you, I encourage you to stand firm. 
That's what we've seen throughout this story of Nehemiah, that he stood firm, he, he dug deep, he remembered, as we said last week, he remembered that God was with him. God is with you. He is for you. He's not against you. And, and if God is for you, then who can be against you, the scriptures say. If God is for you, who can be against you? So you remember that as the distractions come. Remember that as the enemies try to stop you from doing your work. And remember how good God is. Remember the call that he's put on your lives. And carry on with your work with even more determination. With even more determination. Believe me when I say you were created for more. There's not one person in this room that has fulfilled and completed the calling of God on their lives. None of us. God's called us to something and we need to just keep on working, keep on pressing in, keep on doing the good work that God has put in your heart until we get to heaven when we can finally complete that work. We were created, we were designed, we were gifted, we were equipped to do the good work of God, to to make a difference both in the church and as the church out in the world. And as you begin to take a step of faith, as we've said throughout this series, as we step out and begin to walk in the calling that God has put on our lives, distractions will come. You see, you'll start to make progress and, and you'll start to see those walls going up and, and you'll be encouraged by that and do be encouraged by the fact that the good work you're doing is making a difference. But then the enemy's going to come and he's going to try and stop you because as you make progress, he gets scared. As you make advancement, he wants to try and block that in some way. So opposition will show up. But just look at the work that you've done. Look at what it is that you're doing. Look at what it is that God's called you to. Look at the importance of that burden that God's placed on your heart. And remember that. Look for his hand in what you're doing. I think that's always a great encouragement. You know, we can go about God's work and we can step out in faith and we can begin to do the things that, that God calls us to do. But when we begin to face opposition, we forget all the goodness that's gone before. And Nehemiah could have faced that situation as the enemies reared their heads and, and they tried to stop him from doing what he was called to do. He could have forgot everything that got him to that place. But remember that he was released from the king to get there. He was given protection and provision to get there. That the people got behind him when he arrived on the scene and they got stuck in and look at what we've achieved so far. Look at what we've achieved so far. And then as we continue in verse 10, it says, Now I went into the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, son of Mehetabel, who was confined to his home. Let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. They are coming to kill you tonight. So this new character shows up on the scene, this Shemaiah. He shows up and he says, hey, nay, because that's what his friends would have called him. Hey, nay, check out what's going on here. I've got some intel on the situation and there's a bounty on your head. Hear what I'm saying now. There's a bounty on your head. They're going to come and kill you tonight. So what we need to do is we need to run away and we need to lock ourselves 
inside the temple so that we can be protected. Now, Nehemiah had the authority to use the temple. He could have gone and done what Shemaiah was saying, but he recognized that actually it wouldn't be appropriate behavior. It wouldn't be appropriate for him to use the temple in that way. In fact, it would have been an abuse of power. So this guy who kind of comes alongside him and and kind of, you know, implies that he's a friend and says, I've got your best interests at heart. I've heard this news. They're coming to get you. So let's together, me and you, we can go in the temple and we we can be safe. I mean, it sounds great. It sounds like this guy's got his back. It sounds like this guy is with him and not against him. And yet he was encouraging him to do something that he shouldn't be doing. So what looked as this gift to Nehemiah, as this thing that was presented as safety and protection and goodwill, was actually something just disguised as that. And actually it was, it was basically being tempted into stepping out of line, to doing something that wasn't okay. So Nehemiah responds in verse 11, no, he's well practiced at this, no. Should such a man as I run away? And what man such as I could go into the temple and live? I will not go in. I'm not going to run away and hide. I'm not going to abuse my power and, and let a sense of entitlement come into my spirit and begin to use the temple in this way. I won't do it. I won't do it. You see, Nehemiah knew that it wasn't about him when it started, and it certainly wasn't going to let it be about him now. You see, he didn't come to make a name for himself. He came to build a wall. He didn't come to be the king. He came to build a wall. That was the calling of God on his life. And he wasn't going to stray from that at all. You see, he had such a clear understanding of his purpose. He had a clear grasp on his, uh, his, his path laid out for him by God. The directive that God gave him, and nothing was going to distract him from that. So when Sambala and Tobiah and, and Geshem begin to taunt him, they begin to distract him, they begin to uh, threaten his life, he wasn't going to let that happen. And jumping way back to, to chapter 3, when his, his first request comes in, and, and sorry, verse 3, when the first request from them comes in for this, this meeting, he says to them in reply, I'm doing a great work. I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come and talk to you? Now in week one, we looked at chapter two of Nehemiah and it says, so they strengthened the hands for the good work. That's what we've titled this message series, The Good Work. You see, he knew from the very beginning that God had called him to do something that was good. But as he continued on this path, as he continued to walk in God's plans and purposes for his life, he began to see God's hand of favor and of faithfulness, and he realized, actually, this isn't just a good work. This is a great work. This is a great work. You see, this is something God created me to do. He placed me in the right place. He placed me there at the right time with the right king 
who granted me the right protection and the right provision. And then he surrounded me with the right people to inspire, to do something of great importance for the kingdom of God. He was reassured that this wasn't just a good work, it was a great work. It was a great work. So as he replies to his critics and his enemies, he says, you're just trying to distract me. No, I'm doing a great work and I can't come down. He recognized that what he was doing was too important. What he was doing was was too important to, to get down to their level and get involved in their discussions and those distractions. I won't do it. I'm doing a great work and I won't come down. Why should the work stop so that I can have a conversation with you? Why should the call of God be put on hold while we have a chat? I won't do it. Now, I don't know what it is that that each and every person in this room is doing right now. I know that God's called us and equipped us to do something. And I hope that this this series has has kind of encouraged and stirred that up within you. Siri's chatting at me. Should have said something. So... God's called you to do something. He's put something on your heart. He's put something deep within you that says, this is what you're supposed to do for me, this divine burden that he's placed within you. And as you begin to walk on that path, as you begin to live that out in your lives, these distractions will come. And I hope that this message is just preparing you and, and you know, not putting fear within you, but just preparing you and getting you ready for for the reality of what happens when you walk in the plans and purposes of God's life, that, that distractions will come and the enemies will, will get at you and you'll feel attacked. And actually at some point in your, in your walk, it might feel like you can't go any further. But remember that this season won't last forever. It's just a season. And hopefully throughout that season, you can learn something and you can grow in something, whether that's in strength or, or wisdom or whatever it is that God's trying to teach you throughout that period. But as the enemies come and you began to stand strong and, and dig deep and remember the goodness of God throughout your life, God's going to do something and he's going to bring you out the other side and let you carry on with not the good work, but the great work that he has called us to. So I pray that we'll remind ourselves that the work that we're doing is a great work. It's a great work. And, and as the enemies come and say, let's have a, let's have a chat, let's, let's get together, I won't come down. I won't stop what I'm doing for you because God's put something in my heart and I won't let distractions get in the way. So when you feel like giving up or when you feel like backing down from whatever it is that God's put on your heart, no matter how many times those requests come in or, or those distractions are thrown at you. No, as we've practiced this morning, no, 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 just say it. I'm doing a great work. I won't come down. I'm doing a great work. I won't come down. And we're coming into close here. Verse 15. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elong in 52 days. Do you know what I love about this story is that there was nothing really supernatural that happened. There was no 
talking donkey. There was, there was no fire from heaven. There was no burning bush. There was no parting of the sea. You know, the bricks didn't fall from heaven and land in place. You know, when, when God does something supernatural, it's incredible, isn't it? When the Holy Spirit shows up and, and miracles happen in our lives, it, oh, it builds faith and it gives you such encouragement to, to walk in, in what God's called you to do. But what I love about this story is that it's not about that this time. It's not about that this time. What this is about is just someone who, who was in tune with God. He spent four months in prayer and petition to his God to be assured of the calling that was placed on his life. And then he rolled up his sleeves and he got stuck in. God was with him because he, because he kept his eyes fixed on God. And because of his eyes being fixed on the goal, being fixed on the prize, being fixed on his heavenly father, he was able to get the job done with hard work, with the right people around him. You know, sometimes we've just got to fix our eyes on God and get stuck in. We can pray for a miracle, and that's great. We can pray for the Holy Spirit to intervene in our situation, but sometimes you just got to fix your eyes on God and get stuck in. Just get stuck in. So Nehemiah was just an ordinary guy, and God broke his heart for this situation. He placed this burden within his soul that said, this situation isn't right, something needs to be done about it, and and Nehemiah thought, well, I guess it's me. So he sat down and cried. And then he knelt down in prayer. And then he stood up to do something about it. He stood up to act. And throughout the story, we've seen him seeking God faithfully and, and making his, his plans carefully. And then he, he gathered people around him and he inspired them passionately. And then he pushed back the critics and he pushed back the enemies. And he kept his eyes fixed firmly on his heavenly father. And whatever the enemies tried to distract him with, he just said no. Because saying no to them meant saying yes to the calling that was placed on his life. Saying no might have come across as rude. It might have come across as mean. It might have come across as, well, you're not even willing to give me the time of day. But saying no to them meant saying yes to the call of God on his life. And verse 16, when all our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly on their own esteem, for they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of God. They recognized that it wasn't a man. It wasn't Nehemiah. It wasn't him that made this happen. It was all about God, the one who called for it, the one who empowered it, the one who opened the doors, the one who made it possible, the one who was there at the beginning, the one who was there at the middle, the one who was there when the enemies came, the one who was there when distractions came. It was all because of God. And they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of God. To so this story of Nehemiah, I love it. I think it's so encouraging and, and I hope it's been encouraging to you as we've gone throughout this series. And I don't know, maybe you find yourself somewhere within that story. Maybe you recognize yourself somewhere along that journey that he went through. You know, whether that's just that you're being inspired and 
and God's beginning to put something within your heart, maybe you're there. And so I encourage you, if that's you and you're in that place, then, then get on your knees and pray. Seek God. Ask him to guide your steps. Ask him to, to direct you. Or, or maybe you're, you're in the thick of it. Maybe you're already doing what it is. You know full well the call that God's put on your life and you're, you're stuck right in there doing that good work and the enemies are coming at you. I encourage you to stand firm, to have the boldness and courage to say no, to, to work hard with a tool in one hand and a, a weapon in the other. So wherever you're at, remember that God is with you. He'll never leave you or forsake you. You know, I believe that for some of us, he's, he's stirring something up within us. He's beginning to empower you and equip you for, for the call that he's putting on your life. And it's not just going to be a good work. It's going to be a great work. Something that will outlast even you. Why don't we pray? Lord God, we just thank you that you are, that you are so good. That you have a plan and a purpose for each and every one of us. And we thank you for that calling that you've put on our lives. And I just pray this morning that once again, you'll begin to stir something up within us. For the people who are sitting here this morning and they feel that, that, that feeling that actually, I don't know what it is that I'm here for. Lord God, I just pray that you'll, you'll help them to recognize what it is that's within them. That you'll let that fire burn so strongly within them that they won't be able to ignore or miss that, that this is the calling that you've put on their lives. And as we begin to step out in faith, as we begin to walk in the plans and purposes that you've called us to do, I pray that you will equip us, that you'll protect us, that you'll provide for us everything that we need to get the job done. And I thank you that you're with us on the journey. Help us throughout that journey not to, not to get distracted, not to even get, get built up by by praise that comes as we begin to do something that's great in your name or begin to get knocked down by the, the critics. Help us just to keep our eyes fixed on you, to know fully within our hearts that it's you that's called us to it. It's you that's equipped us to do it. It's not about us. It's all about you. So Lord God, I just pray that you'll surround us now with your protection against the enemy as he comes in to distract us. That you'll protect us, that you'll You'll surround us with your angels that, that, Father God, you will intervene in situations where, where the enemy is trying to stop your work from being done. Your will be done in this place, not ours. Your will be done. In Jesus' name, amen.